Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salam ala ashraf al-anbiya wa sayyid al-mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Greetings of peace, brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh You are tuned in to Path and Present Podcast and I am your brother Baraka Blue Alhamdulillah, this uh, episode we have a repeat guest uh, backed by popular demand I think it's the fourth time he's appeared on Path and Present, and uh, I never tire of speaking to this brother. Uh, we always have deep dives. That is Dr. Abdullah Rothman. Um, as many will know, Dr. Rothman is a pioneer within the field of Islamic psychology. He is the current principal of Cambridge Muslim College, and um, he has done a lot of work toward um, really integrating traditional uh, indigenous um, models of the soul and psychology into uh, c- contemporary conversations around Islam and psychology. And um, at Cambridge Muslim College, they have a really, really beautiful program that anyone interested in this topic should check out. It is a diploma in Islamic psychology, which is done online. I think they have like practicums where you go there. Um, you know, once or twice at the end, but it's it can be done by anyone all over the world. And uh, it's a really cool program where you're studying, um, you know, uh, Islamic philosophy and theology of the soul, Islamic ethics, law and spirituality, Islamic medicine, the birth of modern subjectivity, modern psychology, religion and spirituality, modern trends in Islamic psychology, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's all type of modules that are there and various uh, professors and specialists who are teaching various modules there. So if you're interested in that, go to Cambridge Muslim College website and check it out. Uh, he also has a new book, um, which is an adaptation of his PhD, and we kind of get into it a bit in this podcast. It's called Developing a Model of the Soul, Islamic Psychology. And psychotherapy and um, you know I really uh, value Dr. Abdullah's work and he's not the only one but he is one of those that are focusing on this because the Islamic tradition has a profound understanding of the levels of the self the levels of the soul the psyche all of these wisdom traditions are really focusing especially the contemplative um, streams within the wisdom traditions they're you know often a millennia or more of deep practice and understanding the self, the levels of the self, the soul, the spirit, the psyche, the heart, right? All these various terms and how one attains and achieves um, the fullness of one's being and and a potential. Um, And um, they have often, they're rooted in kind of philosophical or theological frameworks, which are very different than the um, assumptions of the ontology and epistemology of modern uh, philosophy and psychology, etc. And psychology grows as a kind of out of, it's a stream, it is a kind of branch of philosophy. Um, So all of these different topics are um, really profound and uh, people often think it's just about, um, you know, 
mental health or it's about right, therapy. It's so much deeper than that. It's really about um, the human soul itself, human consciousness itself, reaching its fullness. Um, of course, overcoming anything that inhibits that fullness, healing from any barriers or any veils to that. And um, so I'm really fascinated in general with the intersection of kind of modern psychology and traditional wisdom traditions. The Buddhists have done a lot and a lot of insights from Buddhism have been incorporated into modern psychology. It's a lot of psychologists who are either practicing Buddhists or at least um, integrate components of Buddhist contemplative practice. And in fact, the whole kind of mindfulness movement grows out of that. And so in a certain sense, um, Dr. Abdullah and others um, are doing that within the Islamic tradition. And uh, he's not the first one. Right? You have Malik Badri. I think um, Kabir Helminski did, has done interesting thing. He also has a degree in transpersonal psychology, which is that kind of school of thought open to the, what transcends the individual. Um, and then you even have one of the founders of the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, which is now, I think, Sophia University, um, Robert Frazier, who is himself uh, a, a Sufi sheikh and, and, and a Muslim, who was a student of... Um, Muzaffar Effendi uh, from the Jirahi order of Turkey. So there's actually, and he's written some interesting works on Islam and psychology. And there are others that, that could be mentioned. So um, it's by no means, uh, you know, just the beginning or, or, or the, but still there's so much work to be done. And um, I really love what Abdullah is doing because, and those other authors too, because um you know i've been to kind of some you know a conference or these conferences on psychology and muslim mental health and the vast majority of what is happening is that there are muslims who are trained in secular western um frameworks of psychology and then they're uh, attempting to you know that's their training that's their that's their tarbiyah and ta'lim. So they're trained in that, that kind of senate of Western psychology, but it, which is often full of certain epistemic and ontological assumptions that are very alien to the Islamic tradition. But then they're, you know, with good intention, attempting to make those sensitive to, uh, culturally sensitive to Muslims and their needs. Um, but I think that, in a certain sense, is, is w much more um, superficial than this deep uh, building from the ground up, the foundation up, um, from the our own kind of model of the psyche and the soul that uh, is happening with the, the Islamic tradition of psychology, as well as Buddhism and psychology. And I'm sure you can find other traditions who are doing this. So this is one of the areas... That is of most interest to me, I think, uh, you know, on the frontiers of kind of like um, spirituality, psychology, um, philosophy of mind. All of these are really interesting topics to me. So it's always a blessing to, to speak to Dr. Abdullah. Um, and um, in this conversation, we focus more 
on his journey and um, what led him to this. And I think it's really profound, um, you know, some of the kind of explorations because really uh, there's a lot of overlap between his journey and mine, even though it took some different outward forms. But there's a lot of similarity, and, and we actually come from the same city, um, f- roughly the same time. He's a little bit uh, older than me, a few years older than me. But uh, even though we didn't know each other beforehand, we kind of grew up in the same milieu and knew a lot of the same people. And so we kind of came together after f- right, finding the same path. Um, and so um, I have a lot of love for, for Dr. Abdullah, and it's always a blessing to speak to him. And I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Please check out his work. And also, uh, it is hoped, and we've been talking about doing a, a class for Rumi Center for Spirituality and the Arts together, Abdullah and I, on spirituality and psychology um, for the average seeker. A lot of what he does is more for clinicians, Muslims in mental health and psychology, but ours will be more aimed towards individual seekers who are looking to deepen their own spiritual practice. And there's a lot of deep conversations there, which I don't want to make this introduction too long, but there's a lot that Dr. Abdullah and I have gotten into, and we get into a little in this conversation about how the you know modern people are wired very differently, so to speak, um, you know, than traditional peoples. So spiritual practice then, and particularly tasawwuf, the, the spiritual dimension, of our path, um, you know, how to present it to modern people uh, and modern, uh, you know, understandings. So there's a lot of deep stuff there. And if anybody has any thoughts or reflections, uh, please feel free to share in the, in the comments or, or uh, write me and let us know your thoughts, inshallah. Also, if people have any suggestions for guests, Feel free to reach out. We'll always uh, consider that. Or if anybody has any other topics or questions that they like, I'm um, engaged with in the podcast. Uh, let me know, inshallah, and we can we can do that. All right, y'all. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Allahumma salli sallam Muhammad wa ala ala sallam Muhammad. Rabbi yashrah li sadri wa sallim ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. 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 It's good to be here with you and have you in my home. It's good to be here. I think this is our uh, fourth installation. <laughs> Of the podcast, alhamdulillah, and many beautiful conversations off mic. Yeah, we never seem to run out of things to talk about. Alhamdulillah. So, um, you know, mashallah, first of all, congratulations on this new book, which I hold in my hand, Developing a Model of Islamic Psychology and Psychotherapy, Islamic Theology and Contemporary Understandings of Psychology, with a forward by no less than Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad. Um, and if I understood correctly, this is a kind of distillation of your PhD dissertation. Yeah, it's a bit shorter. Less, less for the academics, more for the populace. Yeah. Is that it? Is that the right. idea? Yeah. 
Make it a little bit more readable. MashaAllah. So beautiful work. And we've talked, and I would encourage people to reference those past conversations because we we talked um, in multiple podcasts really about the basic framework that you explore in this book. So we're going to not exactly go into that, but kind of tangentially get into maybe what's deep at the heart of this. And so I was looking through this book that you kindly gifted me. And everyone should go get this. I know that the hardback is a bit more expensive, but the paperback's coming paperback's out soon. coming out soon. It'll be, inshallah, more affordable. Alhamdulillah. One of my teachers told me, never say a book is expensive because if it's worth knowing, the knowledge in it is infinitely is priceless. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, inshallah, the, the paperback will be out soon. But what I like here is that you break up this text into a series of reflections. So there's the actual book, there's the chapters, but then there's these series of reflections. Um, yeah, personal for, reflections. Yeah, first, first of all, all, writing in first person, where the rest of the book is more academic. Yeah. Third so person. first of all, why did you why did you do that? Which is kind of a break from a normal academic. Thing. Part of it is to break break it up from the heady academic rigor of research right it is a research book Mm. uh and but then also specific to my methodology so the methodology that i'm using is qualitative research in social science psychology specifically and the idea is it's it's constructivist grounded Mm. theory Mm. the idea is that instead of approaching it as like there's something to study that's objective reality that I'm going to be, you know, creating a hypothesis and then testing it and and that I'm going to be able to get to the bottom of the reality of it mm-hmm. without recognizing that my positionality influences what I'm looking mm-hmm. at and what I'm producing. Mm-hmm. And so instead of sort of trying to like remove bias like a lot of research mm-hmm. does, I've sort of dove into the bias and said, look, I'm a human being. I have this positionality. I have these things that I'm bringing with me to the table. And for me, it it makes sense because what I'm talking about is the study of the self. Mm. And so why would I try to remove my own self in the study of the self? It seems antithetical. Mm. So I sort of embrace that by saying, look, I'm I'm a human being. I bring this perspective. And that perspective and that phenomenological reality is actually important when we're trying to translate theology and the knowledge from the Quran and what that means in practice for human beings today. Mm. MashaAllah, beautiful. <clears throat> so I looked at this, this reflection one, a journey of the soul, a journey to Islam. Um, and this is a really beautiful passage where it's, it's autobiographical when you talk about your life. So I'll just read... A little uh, passage here. You say, as a young boy around the age of 14, I realized that I was different from most of my high school peers. I was less interested in sports and being in the popular group and more interested in questioning what is real and exploring the mystery of the human condition. I spent my time philosophizing about truth and identity, reading books on counterculture and Eastern religions, and spending time alone in nature. When I went to college, I decided to continue my explorations in academic subjects that seemed to match my interest and was drawn to consider majoring in psychology. Then you go on to say, 
The thing that initially attracted me to psychology was the idea that it studies the psyche or soul of the human being. I was always intrigued by the notion that we are human beings. We as human beings have a deeper, perhaps more authentic part of ourselves that is beyond or beneath the external identities that we construct and operate from in our worldly lives. But then you go on to say uh, that you found majoring in psychology, uh, most of these courses were not on this topic and were very different than what you were looking for, except for a specific course on psychology and religion, which really got into those deeper subjects. So I think there's a lot there. And interestingly enough, uh, maybe it's particularly interesting to me because, you know, that could have been written in my voice and without mm. being changed. I mean, similarly, yeah. as far as my own 14-year-old self. Um, so I think <clears throat> I'd like to ask you then a little bit about your journey because, okay, you, you're you now known as you know Dr. Rothman, the psychologist, but your journey really was less about being a clinician and more being a seeker trying to understand the soul yeah yeah so how does that you know unfold for you and and you know bring you to that that point yeah i mean it was it was pretty far along that journey that i formally decided to to make psychology my career path i was even when i was in in college and studying psychology you know, still formative years of what I'm interested in, and then and then wound up majoring in something else. Because, like you said, or like you read, I, when I went to take those classes, I, I was like, let me find out about the human experience and human beings. And and it was they're talking about rats. You know, mm. like it was the irony in that um, that we're so disconnected from the human spiritual reality of of who we really are and we're just looking at how we behave Mm. and how we interact with the material world that I was it it sort of sparked me to go more on this internal questing for where are those answers you know if I'm they don't seem to really have them in academia at least you know because psychology seems like it would be the most relevant to that Hmm. discourse yeah literally the study of the soul right right? so this is it's like it's like a misnomer you know Mm. it's like uh incorrect advertising you Mm. know i think the thing i'm think i'm signing up for is studying the soul and then it's like well where's the soul there's no soul Mm. in psychology Mm. so then this put me on this journey of like searching ancient wisdom traditions and traveling the world and um so tell me a little bit about that, because I know, I mean, we grew up in the same city, Seattle, around the same time. You're, you're a little bit older than me, but I think describe that kind of milieu um, and the, the kind of seeking meaning. And you mentioned the nature of the soul, mysticism, the purpose of existence, these more philosophical, metaphysical questions that you were asking. Where does a 14 year old boy um in your space and time go for those answers yeah that's a good question (laughs) i mean it's hard to answer that because i don't know that there's a standard 
you know, like the average 14-year-old boy, like I was saying, in, in, in my world wasn't really doing that. Mm. So I found myself in circles with older people. Like when I was in high school, I was hanging out with college students who were engaged in these sort of larger, almost academic philosophical discussions. Mm. But for me, you know, in the American secular context, that became about uh, counterculture and sort of everything that's connected with that. So for me, it was both like social change Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, sort of rebelliousness against the system and this idea that there's this, there's this, you know, matrix that we've all bought into and that underneath the surface there's this deeper reality of of our existence. Mm. And I was exploring that through everything from, you know, like a lot of it was influenced by the counterculture that grew out of the 60s and 70s, which my parents were a part of. Um, but that what intrigued me about that was not accepting the sort of narrative that society puts forward. And so it's it's like, what more is there? And part of that is there's this, I found a real connection to Rastafarianism. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, a lot of teenagers grow up, it's because of the smoking weed and mm-hmm. the music and reggae. But for me, it was this rebel soul aspect of of like mm-hmm. there's something wrong here and I'm not and I'm gonna like have a little bit of a young attitude about it and reject it and throw it back in the face of mm-hmm. the the man and the yeah. system the oppressor the mm-hmm. colonizer mm-hmm. and and sort of say Down well man. yeah and sort of like reclaim the sacredness and the honor of the human being yeah and you know like that like hey I'm not a I'm not just a consumer. I'm not just a commodity for you to control. There's something sacred about, you know, what's what's inside of me. And then that can become an ego thing, right? Mm. Because it's like, hey, I'm worth something. There's mm. this pride element to it, right? Mm-hmm. But through the journey and through the work, it's like, what is it? You know, it's like this this revival or this reclaiming of, of true identity, yeah, no, the Rasta thing is so fascinating also, I mean, likewise, you know, because it was really this way of life. I mean, if you look at, just think of reggae music, like, I mean, talk about Dawa, right? It's just this really powerful force It comes from this small island and they create their own music that is essentially a vehicle for their religious tradition. You know what I mean? The whole thing is, is really Dawa. Yeah. And, um... It's like biblically rooted, but it's, you know, kind of an offshoot. I mean, it has interesting, you know, it's very, it's like Garveyite in the same way that also the nation of Islam was deeply influenced by that. And, you know, you know, it's, it's an interesting movement, you know, that like Dr. Jackson would call, you know, black Hebrew Israelites and, and the, you know, nation of Islam and the Rasta, the, he, he calls it like black religion, the holy protest against white yeah. racism. Like it's, even though the theology may be different, it's all one. And it's interesting because in, in that, like even like Garvey, Marcus Garvey was saying, like looking back to Africa, yes, right? yes. looking back to our, well, for the black people, looking back to our, 
our status as kings and queens mm. and being sacred human beings. Mm. But that notion of looking back to something more pure about yes. who we are that has been covered over or mm. that has been taken or stolen, you know, removed from us is really core to the human journey. Yes. And so I think that's what resonated for me is like looking back to this, yeah, this sacredness of the human being that has been lost. And so I've really found resonance in that in this, in the black experience because I grew up around that. I grew up around hip hop and I grew up in in that experience. And uh, but underneath the sort of external identity mm. it's this quest for uh the ruh mm-hmm. you know what this this holiness that we mm. have in ourselves as khalifatullah mm-hmm. as vicegerents on the mm. earth uh that that has been you know mm. that has been covered over and so i actually did when i went and lived with the black hebrew israelites in demona yeah, I want to hear about that. Well, I want to like see how that happened because that's a fascinating <laughs> story you told me. But yeah, I want to also just reiterate what you're saying because I am very similarly, and I remember when you were speaking the the line from the band Midnight that reggae band I used to listen to growing up a lot. You know, they had that beautiful line: "You are worth more than all the precious stones they have stolen from the earth." Mm. Like that's like the ethos. Of yeah. It. Like we have this this preciousness, this truth, the spirit, and that there are those who you know, in Babylon, representing this kind of fall away from the original paradisal state. You know, yeah. all of this is all these bi- biblical metaphors and images where, you know, I don't know about you, but like my family was very much in a certain sense, like post-Christian. Also, my fam- my parents, you know, were kind of peripheral, but, you know, involved in the counterculture 60s and 70s. And so, you know, my I was really raised without a framework of the sacred. You know, you know, uh, my dad was raised Catholic, my mom Protestant, but it was like by the for us, my sister and I, we were just growing up kind of like without any fr- sacred framework. Yeah, like so many Westerners, Americans, and and and, and your, you know others. And so I think, um, you know, I think for me it was yeah it was those it was the music that first was able to bring in these like sacred and biblical themes in a way that just frankly wasn't like yeah. corny and lame you know but like was really powerful and potent and spoke to my soul yeah you know? that that's exactly how it was for me but for me it was from the so i grew up in uh my family is jewish mm-hmm. and even though they weren't religious there was an there was an uh ethnic identity with that mm-hmm. and it was very so i had i grew up with this connection to these what you're calling biblical stories, but like the prophets yes. and the, you know, the Old Testament. Yes. And I had that really resonated with me. So mm. like even my uh, my name, I was given a name in Hebrew that basically means King David. Mm. And so I had this, I had this connection. I was always um, with these prophets and kings, and you know these 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 biblical stories but i didn't resonate with the the sort of culture mm-hmm. and tribalism of of judaism mm. and so this is why i went towards this other 
you know, part of it is what I grew up around. It, it resonated with me more, and there was more soul mm-hmm. in it, right? Mm-hmm. It was, so for me, in in Rasta, and, and and similarly in the Black Hebrew Israelites, I found this connection with original, the, the, the source of the original human beings. Like, so I was always convinced that mm-hmm. humans originated from Africa mm-hmm. and that the original, you know, people were black people and 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 that this is something that even uh, even people of all colors need to acknowledge this roots of humanity mm-hmm. and so it was bringing this these different narratives back together for me of these prophets but then you know this was always sort of whitewashed mm-hmm. you know people would talk about obviously isa mm-hmm. as a white man and and musa Mm-hmm. Moses, as as people would just assume they were like white people, European, mm-hmm. but you know if you've ever been to this part of the country, there's no white people there. They're, they're at the least world. brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was threading the these disjointed narratives together to find the sort of true um, story of humanity. Mm. So tell me how this, like, so uh, you know. Growing up in Seattle, and then you were also an artist yourself. So you're in the counterculture, you're seeking, there's activism, there's art, there's music, there's like these spiritual traditions of the East and of the West and of the African continent and all these things, This, which is very familiar to me. It's like this milieu of things. So, at, you know, you, you, you mentioned that the Black Hebrew Israelites. So how does that, like what brings you to that? place or are we skipping other stages yeah there's definitely other things i mean well to speak to you know like you said all of these different influences it was so many things and i i definitely as a young uh seeker was sort of dabbling in all these different i was part of all these different counterculture groups you Mm -hmm. know whether it was it was sort of never limited to just one yeah and um and there was this thirst, I think, for finding answers and finding a commonality, like mm. finding the mm. common humanity in everything. Because mm. as I would go through these different, whether it's different groups or different spiritual traditions or different religions or different, there was always this sense of like, well, this is the way. Mm. Yes. And, and that... You know, I loved what I was learning from from these, you know, worldviews. But just the notion that it was like, well, you have to do it this way, and mm-hmm. this is the way, and everybody else is mm-hmm. on on the wrong path. Right. That right. fundamentally turned me off because I had this internal sense that there was one God, one truth one reality there's and there's multiplicity and diversity and that's beautiful but that like there isn't um there isn't a different god mm-hmm. right yeah <clears throat> no that's it so and you mentioned to me a story like when you were studying um that kind of like made you realize like man this might not be it for me right 
if you would share that story, it's really, it's really deep, actually. Yeah, so I was, um, you know, I, I, I had already been looking at all these different religions and trying to find my path or find the truth or just seeking. And at some point, I, I, I sort of, in my own reflection and trying to be honest with myself, I, I sort of said, well, if God put me in this body, in this family, in this Jewish family, I should look into that at, mm. at least. Mm. I should give it its due. I give it its honor, right? Mm. So I went and studied in in the Holy Land, um, and was really took a deep dive into studying Judaism and like studying in yeshivas and and with rabbis and um, and I was doing that for about a year. I lived in the old city in in Al-Quds, in Jerusalem. I lived in the Golan. I've lived in the mountains. I traveled around. And then part, part of that is I lived with the black Hebrew Israelites. But when I was studying with rabbis, I would be, you know, we'd get really deep into this scholarly, talking about all these philosophical things and studying the Torah. And, and I would be sort of holding my own with these philosophical conversations and understanding these deep things. And at one point, one rabbi was like, oh my, you know, was sort of excited. Was sort of excited that I was getting it. And so he's like, oh, I got to take you to this other rabbi. He'll really love that you're able to sort of, you know, talk about these deep mystical truths. Mm. And so we're talking and he's like testing me, asking me these questions of like, what, you know, about, about, Tawheed, essentially, about oneness, the oneness of God. He's like, is 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 the moon God? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if God is everything, is God the moon? You know, and he was testing my understanding, and he was impressed by my answers. You know, and so he was like, wow, Mas-. well, he wasn't saying mashallah, but he was like, you know, this is a, and he said, this is a, a good Jew, right? Mm-hmm. And like you, because you get it, you understand mm-hmm. it, and it's, and he was all very excited, and so he went from putting me in this high position of like, he's very excited about me mm-hmm. as this, what he was calling a Jew because of my level of, mm-hmm. and then in conversation, he finds out that my mother's mother wasn't Jewish. Mm-hmm. And, in, and, that, and then that, you know, even though she converted to marry my father, that maybe it wasn't, a, in his opinion, a kosher conversion. And so he, in that moment, was completely wrote me off. Mm-hmm. And was basically like, went from I'm I'm the best Jew to you know you're not I even a real Jew. You're not even a real Jew. I don't I don't I'm not interested in talking to you anymore. Wow. And it just that moment really sort of uh crystallized it for me. It was like, okay, this is this is this is the thing. Because if it's about seeking and being righteous and mm-hmm. striving, mm-hmm. literally like the name Israel. Mm-hmm. Israel means one who wrestles with God mm-hmm. to strive for the truth. Mm. And so to me, that was about your in, internal state. Had nothing to do with a bloodline. Right. And then it's suddenly... tribal identity. It's just tribalism. So, so, <clears throat> so he finds out, you know, he has this conception that my bloodline isn't pure. Mm. And so therefore, I'm not pure. Mm. And I was like, that's so ridiculous and and it, so it sort of sort of cut off it sort of crystallized the thing for me is like okay i know 
righteous people who aren't Jewish. Mm. And I know Jewish people who aren't righteous. And to me, the whole quest, because I was on this quest to answer the question, what is a good Jew? Because my grandmother always used to say, I want you to be a good Jew. Mm. I was like, well, what does that mean? Mm. You know? And uh, for me, in my study, like literally, it, it meant like somebody who is struggling with God, somebody who is wrestling with the truth. Mm-hmm. And that cannot be, you, you don't, that doesn't come through the bloodline, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, at that point, it was like, I, my understanding of things was, was different. Um, and for me, it was about sort of rejection of the tribalism. Mm-hmm. But embracing this, this wisdom of, of not only the oneness of God, but the connection to this holy land and the prophets. I still believed in that. It still had a connection to that. Everything just but the, the, the bloodline tribalism thing. And so it was setting me up at that point. I didn't immediately find Islam at that point, but it was really laying the foundations for me to later um, find and embrace Islam. Mm, that's deep. And, um, you know, I, I want to hear a little bit about your kind of time with the black Hebrew Israelites because that also touches on notions of identity and yeah. belonging and right. insider outsider status. And you have some interesting reflections on that and stories of that. Yeah. So, like, I was, so I went and stayed with them. And again, I had a very similar experience where I was meeting with some of the elders and talking to them because I had been really into, because through my path of, Rastafari and through I have done a lot of reading about like the connection of Ethiopia and Menelik and Queen Sheba and Mm -hmm. the and and so we were talking about these things and they got excited and they brought me before the Council of Elders Mm -hmm. with uh, in Demona and this beautiful community that they have there that where they're just like self-sustained they have their own education system they're vegetarian they were in when I was there they were going through this transition to a raw diet and they, you know, they have these restaurants that they make amazing vegetarian food, but they were, they had this real consciousness of, of not only owning their own process of making food and agriculture, but of really having clean eating. Mm. Um, but anyway, so I was meeting with the elders and talking about this and they were like, basically they got to the point of, you're one of us. And, you know, the black Hebrew Israelites, like it's, it's fundamentally about having black skin mm. as being an ancestor, a descendant from the original, you know, they, they believe that the original Hebrew Israelites were black people and that those are, that they were through the Exodus, they were spread out among the different countries in Africa. And then those were the people that were brought over in, uh, enslaved in the, diaspora and brought Mm -hmm. to america and then they so they were coming back um and so they they i felt like did a little bit of almost like gymnastics to flip that because they made this connection with me they saw in my soul that i got it and that i was on the path with them Mm -hmm. and so they're like you are one of us Mm -hmm. because spiritually in your soul you get it and then you're there so therefore what they they said is you that God put me in this body, this non-black body, or uh, so that I could be an ambassador for this, you know, truth. Mm. And I was like, that's, that's deep, right? And that's beautiful because in that they're transcending mm. 
mm-hmm. the physical manifestation of identity. Mm-hmm. And yet their belief system is fundamentally based on this physical identity, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's, again, and it comes from the same root because they're, they essentially have, you know, they, it's, it's Judaism, but with replaced with, the, they're the people. chosen people. Yeah, yeah, they're the chosen people, but there's still the notion of tribalism. Yes. So like even they're when still the unchosen. Like when they move, when they set up shop, the Israeli government said, "Okay, well, we'll give you land if they, if you make aliyah, aliyah, like when you you convert to Judaism." And mm-hmm. they said, "No, we don't need to convert because we're already the original Jews." <laughs> right? And so there was this sort of standoff. And so this is their this is this is their position. And um, it was it was both simultaneously like exactly what that was for me. It was opening up this like, yes, it is about identity, but the identity is based on this internal reality of our soul, not the temporary manifestation of our identity in this dunya. Mm. That's true. And so... <clears throat> Where do you go from there? Or what, what kind of were the steps that then, like, how did you find that? How did you find a path that affirmed the, the nature of the Ruach, the spirit, and um, also was, you know, universal? And, you know. But I didn't find it at all. It was, you know, Allah guided me. Mm. And, you know, I was on this journey... And, I, and throughout this journey, there was a lot of other stops along the way that we haven't covered. But essentially, like I was in the hills in Jamaica for a, a while with this Rastafarian elder. And I was in the jungles of Thailand with the Buddhist monk fishing from rivers and meditating. And in, in all these situations, I was with a, a, a sheikh, basically, of these, you know, like this elder mm-hmm. teacher. Uh, and each time it was like, I fully dove in. Like I didn't, I wasn't there as a tourist. Mm. I was there completely submitted to their way because and in my heart, I knew that there was only one way, one truth, one God that was always clear to me. But me submitting to these paths wasn't submitting to the theology or the dogma. It was submitting to Allah, like the one God. And that, I'm finding the resonance of truth in these things and the ancient wisdom mm. in these traditions mm. that I'm sort of collecting, but knowing that regardless of anything, it's the one God that I'm, mm. that's most important. So I, and, and then I would sort of continue on because like 85, 90% of the path resonated with me and it felt like, yes, this is true. And then there was that... Mm that 10% or, you know, whatever it is, the tribalism, the sort of, if you're not one of us, then you're lost. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would move on. And so the moving on, ultimately, at that point, led me to, okay, it started to converge with, well, what do I want to, what am I going to go back to do? Because I had been traveling around the world for a while. And so I decided I'm going going to put all of this exploration into the focused study of psychology because it's this you know my my grandfather was a pioneer in humanistic psychology and and one of one of the things that he that world 
allowed for was sort of integrating Eastern traditions and spiritual wisdom into psychology. And so I had, I had this notion of, okay, I'm going to sort of um, integrate all of this learnings that I've had from these different traditions into an application for working with people to e- develop mm. ourselves and mm-hmm. souls and, and healing. Mm. And so I, I sort of put this into, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get a master's in psychology. I'm going to study psychology. And I'm going to, through this secular path, mm. integrate all of this ancient wisdom. But then in that, as I was doing that, I, I also on my own spiritual journey realized I'm, at a, I'm hitting a glass ceiling with my own spiritual growth because I don't have one path that I'm committed to. Mm-hmm. And at the same time in my path of psychology where they're saying you have to commit to a theoretical orientation mm-hmm. of psychology, which I was also apprehensive to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if my theoretical orientation for what, everything I learned needs to be grounded in a spiritual tradition. I had this notion of like silsila, mm-hmm. of a chain of knowledge. And so I was really looking for how can I approach psychology in a way that's grounded in a chain of knowledge that's understanding the human being fundamentally as a spiritual reality? Mm-hmm. And that's actually how I came to Islam, is through that path, through, through psychology, really. Mm-hmm. And, and this was through... So I found this through Sheikh uh, Sidi Muhammad Jamal mm-hmm. from Philistine. Yeah, so tell me about your <clears throat> meetings with him, your relationship with him, his, his that kind of, what was it about him and his articulation or his, you know, that relationship, teacher-student relationship you had with him after all these other, you know, kind of teachers that was different? First of all, there was just so much contained in very small interactions you know like uh and he was both simultaneously the, the the thing that was so different fundamentally about all these other teachers and communities I was with is that he was 100% committed to his dean mm. right he would pray five times a day he was he looked like a mm. externally like a sheikh a muslim mm. he was speaking only in arabic he was reciting quran and yet Whenever, when people would come to him, including me as a non-Muslim, it was completely open arms mm. with no judgment and, and honoring my station as a human being mm. without this guilt of like, well, you have to be what we're, we are. You have to be doing what we're doing in order to mm. be loved by God or accepted mm. by God. It was, it was, there was no, mm. it was sort of like come as you are. And your potential, and even so, his students treated me like I could be potentially on a higher spiritual level than they are, even though I'm not Muslim, mm-hmm. even though I'm not doing what they're doing. But they fully, at the same time, fully believed in we pray five times a day. This is what we, we do. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we believe in. And you could potentially still have a relationship with God, even though you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is fundamentally what I was looking for in all these other places. This was the, this was the problem, mm. is that people had been ready to judge the state of somebody's heart. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I found with C.D. 
Muhammad is that he was really guiding to the state, mm. the sort of inner spiritual state of the heart mm. of the seeker, mm-hmm. rather than the external behaviors. Right, or the tribal identities. The, yeah. He wasn't calling you to like Beni Islam, like this, you know, this tribal identity of exactly. Islam. Exactly. It was the, a reality of submission to the reality. Right, right. And that's the thing. It was like he, I, I realized he, he was saying, you don't have to change who you are you just have to recognize what you already mm-hmm. are and and then and so I, it was like it was just it wasn't a it wasn't a rational thing of like oh i'm going to study these mm-hmm. theological principles mm-hmm. and i'm going to rationally decide to become muslim my heart just knew that this is what i had been seeking all along so basically all these pieces of the puzzle that i had collected from all these different traditions you know, like the 80% here, the 80% here that weren't full, all existed here, right? The prophets, the sort of like the meditation, like mm-hmm. the, the practices of being mm-hmm. contemplative, the uh, all of these things fit together. And then it was like this, I could see this ocean. And so my heart really just turned. And then... The thing that even solidified after that is soon after I became Muslim and I was with him and I brought a few of my friends who I really resonated with on this spiritual, I was on this spiritual seeking journey for Mm -hmm. quite a while and we were really, they're deep. Mm -hmm. They're not Muslim. And I brought them to meet him and he's surrounded, this Sidi Muhammad, he's surrounded by practicing Muslims, you know, his students and people who pray five times a day who are identify as Muslim. And these, I bring these two people who are not identify Muslim and Sheikh Muhammad says ah it's nice to see true Muslims <laughs> and and people with around him were like oh no these they're not Muslims but he, what he meant was he was he was responding to the state of their heart mm-hmm. yeah I mean I had the blessing of meeting Sidi Muhammad and I also was in his janazah in California mm. and um, and I remember I had heard about him and his community I was living in the Bay Area and uh, it was during Ramadan and one of the brothers I was at the lighthouse the old lighthouse it was a smaller space some of the brothers and say we're rolling up this weekend because it's the 27th of Ramadan and we're going to go up to the, the land and you know, there's this big, you know, kind of like stay up all night, do dick or whatever. So I was like, oh, I always wanted to experience this, so let's go. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I remember walking in. It's a few hours drive from, it's like just past Napa Valley. A few hours drive past the bay. And we walk into this beautiful, you know, this like lodge. And I just remember there being like, you know, a hundred or so, 150, you know people that and most of them were like middle-aged white people yeah and they were just like la ilaha illallah and for me i was in my 20s at the time and it kind of reminded me of like i mean my my mother like my mother these are people that could be in the social circle of my mother and for me, Islam had always been, like, so alien to, like, my mother, like, my experience. And so, like, I just was, like, so moved by that. 
and just the way he was with people and just the the real like you say like come as you are it doesn't matter yeah and the really getting to the essence of what it's all about that's right and this like transform people's hearts first and then the rest will follow yeah and i saw like so much of other you know i had experienced so much of other people really focus on the external as if the sunnah was change your outward and then your inward will change right and it's like right yeah, you know this the sunnah is actually changed people's hearts yeah and the rest will follow exactly you know? and that was really his approach is he's literally like so what what he was what i learned from him was about healing the heart mm -hmm. because so i came as this finishing my masters in psychology and he basically took this orientation of working with people that i had learned and taught me how to go to a deeper level to really heal what's in people's heart rather than just talk therapy mm -hmm. you know talking about we we restructuring thoughts hmm. he was orient he's helped me learn oriented to the the actual heart inside the body and so it became more than just this psychology as we know as talk therapy but it was this spiritual healing and it was it was it was heal the heart meaning like find out the things that were getting in the way of somebody being present with Allah and that the external submission to the path of islam the sharia will be a natural outpouring of this alignment with fitra hmm. and that's actually exactly what it was for me it was it was that experiencing that that healing literally i had these experiences where my heart just opened and i was processing all of these really deep things that had been blocking me just as a human being hmm. and the result of that was, oh, this is this is this is the way, you know, like the Mandalorian, mm -hmm. and it was just clear, and so that that allowed me to submit to the Sharia, even though I was coming from this like secular, you know, fear of religion in a sense mm -hmm. because we see it as restriction, mm -hmm. and at that point it was like, oh, the Sharia is just a a container, a vessel, to allow the inner healing of the heart to to fully come to fruition. So it's not a restriction, it's a allowing for freedom. Mm. Yeah, no, and that's deep. And I think, you know, it makes sense too in a... Um, if we understand the levels a lot of what you focused your work on, <clears throat> if we understand, you know, the modern world is, is, is you know, often based on this idea that, um, you know, liberty, that... We should be free to do um, whatever we want and no one should infringe on each other's freedom. And that's like the sin par excellence is really just to infringe on other people's freedom, right? Now, that has its place and, you know, that is what it is. But if you think about a kind of not just, you know, really the, the world's wisdom traditions start from a different premise which is that it's not just about um being free to gratify yourself or follow your whims or do whatever you want or like but actually that there are 
levels of yourself. Mm. And so <clears throat> that true freedom is not just to give free reign to yourself, yeah. but true freedom is to discipline and transform or and polish and right get, have tarbiyah until you awaken to your true self. So there's actually a disciplining that will unleash true liberation. Right. And it's like, what part of yourself are you freeing? Yes. Right. Because we, we, I think we have an innate sense that something needs to be free. And because we only identify with our external nafs, mm. our individuated external self, mm. that we're focused on just, okay, myself wants this, so I'm going to free it. Right. But if the actual self is this higher reality of our ruh which is hidden it's covered over it's the secret and so yes it's about freeing and allowing yourself to be what it is and be free but what it is isn't what we think it is and so in order to get to the real self that we're freeing we have to do this digging and uncovering and work which is disciplined work to sort of peel the layers back of the onion to get to the core of who we actually are so that that can be free. Yeah, and your point is, and, and this is really, I think, the importance of, you know, your work, I mean, but just generally what we're all really after is that <clears throat> um you know, in other words, that another analogy one could use is that we're all kind of like at the base of a mountain and um, the modern world is like, look, we have this beautiful city with all these lights. It's like Las Vegas, like just enjoy everything you can at the, at the right. And people have even like forgotten that there is a mountain because the like, right, the neon lights are so bright, you can't even see the, right, the silhouette. Yeah. And these like weird wisdom traditions that are like kind of antiquated that where people would like spend all this time like these sadhus taking like you know, thousands of steps and prostrations and then like or these like monks at the mountaintop or these like dervishes you know spending you know 40 days in seclusion invoking the divine name like all of that seems like if anything like quaint and interesting as a historical artifact but there's not a framework for us to understand like why what are they what are they seeking to access and why are they then unanimously affirming that there is a ultimate reality that is at the core of of every one of our being and that is we have equal access to and that is our true um, joy and happiness and that is synonymous with love and beauty and virtue and all that is good and the all of the is real. And once you attain that, that every pleasure and joy and things that people seek of fame and status and wealth within this world literally doesn't have any pull because it's it's like a child, you know, playing with dolls, you know, once you be, attain adulthood. Like it has no interest, it's not even interesting, right? Um, and so I think, in other words... I think where a lot of people start when they talk about religion, quote unquote religion, is like, this is how you climb a mountain and this is the type of shoes you need and this yeah. is how you, you know, and don't turn, turn there and don't turn there and don't turn there and you need this and this and this. And you're like, 
it's like, what is even the point of the mount? Is there a mountain? Is there a point? What is the top? And so what I think this, these deep, the deep metaphysics and the philosophical and the, the mystical traditions within the world wisdom traditions, they really kind of answer, they speak about the top of the mountain. And then it's like, then once you understand that, then it's like, okay, how do I climb? Right. And then you love actually the, each step of the way becomes beautiful. That's right. Because you know what it's for. You know that you don't get caught up on the technical aspect of it. You're realizing that it's a vehicle to reach. Mashallah. Yeah, and so... Um, after Sidi Muhammad... Um, did that then alter your studies? Did it alter the way you approach psychology? Did it alter? You know? Yeah, really altered everything. I mean, everything at that point just mm-hmm. like took a one eighty for me. I, I literally mm-hmm. dove deep. I was like, "This is this is it." And and so I, I said to him, I was like, "I want to study. I wanna, I wanna like give stop everything I'm doing and just devote my whole self to learning the dean because I, I knew at that point that I had explored all of these terrain of the inner of the the mystical spiritual reality mm. and what i was missing was the outer path Form. the mm. sharia mm-hmm. and so i was like i this is this is what i need i don't i don't need because i was with these people the people that were coming to him were like loving that he was about love mm. and they were like loving that he was allowing them to be free and loving and he wasn't forcing the Sharia and they got a little caught in that. And I, I immediately recognized that, oh, because of that, it allowed me to see the value in the outer. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, for me, it was only about the inner. Mm-hmm. And I already knew that. And he, was, and he validated that, that that's what's most important. And you need mm-hmm. absolutely the outer to contain it and ground it and you know, continue. So I, like I said, I felt like I had this glass ceiling. And in order to burst through that glass ceiling, I needed to learn the, the path. And so he assigned me to go study with Sheikh Nuruddin Durki. Hmm. And so I packed up my whole life and moved out to where he was, which was in Virginia. And, um, and he was, he, he said, he's, I was like, I'm going to come and just live with you. He's like, whoa, <laughs> you've got to like get your own house and get a job. And cause he's very much mm-hmm. from the Shadowly school, which is, you know, Sidi Abu Hashan Shadowly was all about working in the world mm-hmm. and having your work in the world. And so I did that. I moved my whole life out there and my experience with him. I, so I'm thinking I'm going to go study mm-hmm. Islam with a scholar with a sheikh and so to me i was like okay i need to learn the books and the rules from books and it wasn't primarily about books it was tarbiyah it was following him around i would i would just go with him everywhere i would drive him to prisons where he would teach tajweed quran to the inmates i would drive him to give the khutbah different masajid around the area I would chop his wood, I would mow his lawn, I would serve him tea, I would just be in his presence constantly. And in that, through the service, there is a transmission that happens, first of all, Mm -hmm. right? Just by 
giving over to the teacher, right? But then also, he would be teaching me through these active mm-hmm. lessons. So it was life, but he was teaching me what you would learn in a book, mm-hmm. but it's so much more profound when it's experiential knowledge. So for example, he could he teach me about breaking the nafs, right? And we could have a theoretical discussion. I could read a book about it. And we did, but more more fundamentally, what he did is, so I built his zawiya. Uh, so I found this building and we, and we rented it out. And then the inside, I was building walls and, and he had these beautiful um, mashrabiya doors and windows that he had saved from Egypt, you know, like hundreds, hundreds of years old. And mm-hmm. I was building walls and building these into him. And he said, paint the, the beams, the rafters green. The prophet's green, mm-hmm. So he picked out the green. We, I paint the rafters. It's freezing cold in Virginia in the winter. My hands are like blue with cold. And it's spending days painting these rafters, several coats, right? And I finally finish and I'm feeling proud, like, oh, the sheikh's going to be so happy with me. I've, mm-hmm. I've done a, such a good job. He comes in, he says, it's the wrong color green, paint it again. <laughs> and so I'm like, in that moment, my um, my nafs is broken, mm-hmm. right? The the pride of I've accomplished, mm-hmm. and he's going to be proud, was was, mm-hmm. and so it was through this process that he was teaching me things, uh, mm-hmm. that was really what this education was about, and this this is how I learned the the path. Like so, it was Sharia because I was also learning. You know, I was I was learning how to, uh, I was learning Fardalain, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the foundations of mm-hmm. the deen. But he was filling that out with these life lessons. Mm. And I'd be driving him and I would have to drive like I was his hands. You know, I'd have to like give myself over. He'd sit in the front seat and he'd be like, you know, watch out for that. Watch out for that, you know. And I just sort of have to give over myself Hmm. be like a, a corpse in the in the hands of the washer and then we'd be driving and he says stop the car so I stopped the car and he said get out you see that branch in the road go remove that so I do it get out remove the branch come back in he says okay continue driving and then only like super quiet maybe 15 minutes down the road after quiet he starts giving me this dars, this lesson about how removing obstacles from the path is one of the branches of knowledge in Islam mm-hmm. and giving me, you know, and so is this, this is how these things get deeply embedded in my, in, in one's soul rather than just cognitively understanding mm-hmm. abstract ideas. MashaAllah. No, it's beautiful. And that's, <clears throat> I think, really one of the deep dimensions that we've kind of lost in general in the modern world is that that kind of um, mentorship or that transfer of a way of being and you know even uh, you know a brother that I know you know teacher and he he said recently said you know I was involved in one, one of the first organizations like in the 90s that was like transmitting um the islamic sciences on the internet like we built it you know and then he said and to be honest 
like sometimes I wonder if that wasn't a mistake because the knowledge is true and beautiful but if for 1400 years the way that it's been taught is through a personal relationship with the teacher who is embodying it yeah. and conveying it and then you remove that dimension mm. and then anyone can just turn on their computer and, and cover the same content but without that personal relationship um, what is really lost and you know this also gets back to the the fact that the Prophet sallallahu is primarily like his pedagogy, his way of conveying of teaching was not, you know, to go on like a speaking tour no. and to not like lecture abundantly. No. I mean, there were times there are hadith that sometimes he would speak for hours on end, but the but the majority of the way he would teach was exactly just what you are saying yeah. that you, the way you learned was just being with people, eating a meal, serving people, guests come, this is how you welcome your guests. Yes. Some guests would be rude, this is how you respond when people are rude. Yeah. You know, you just and so you observe him, okay, this is how okay, this is how I do it. And we need that. Yeah. We need embodiments of it. And you know, you know, Muslim philosopher Sayyidina Qibla Tas, his whole argument that the the um the primary um malady that is afflicting the Muslim world and kind of has caused us to fall is a loss of adab mm -hmm. a loss of like you know proper relationship and etiquette in general which means to everything to everyone and so that's really what's being taught and that's a, there's ta'lim and then there's tarbiyah and this this tarbiyah yeah so ta'lim is like you learn you you learn the concepts you learn the knowledge Tarbiyah is your is this active embodied experiential development of the soul of the human being, and this idea of adab is really tahdib al akhlaq. This the, the refinement of character. This is what we know that the Prophet Laysatussam was the perfected character, right? Mm. He came to perfect character. But what we miss, I think, a lot of times is that we, because we're so disconnected from this embodied way of being but also then the notion of that knowledge comes through an embodied state like you can there is a transmission of knowledge that happens when you unlock mm. your being yes. by al aligning your will with these concepts of truth rather than just abstract cognitive rational notions right which we tend to be completely mm. on the side of when we talk about Muslim scholars these days it's intellectual people who have memorized things and understand rational proofs which is part of it mm -hmm. that's the ta'deem but the tarbiyah mm -hmm. is that you have to use your will your body has to be involved mm -hmm. in order for true knowing to happen because our aql is not confined to our rational you know our, our mind or our brain or our head mm -hmm. we have aql of the body like your body literally has weight has mm -hmm. Perception, you know, our, our limbs were speak to what we did with them on the day of judgment. Sure. And so when you get your body involved in the whole process, it awakens in you this perception of the heart, where the heart can actually perceive things as they are. And so when we talk about character, like adab, it's not just mimicking behavior of the Prophet, mm. because there's a lot of, you, you can do what you're supposed to do. Mm. 
and not have it affect your heart. Hmm. And so the work of تَحْذِيبَ الأخلاق is not just conforming your behavior to what's better. Right. It's actually what in order to put forth the beautiful character which is already in your fitra, it's already natural to you, but you have to unblock these, this covering over your heart which means taking accountability and not doing this sort of spiritual bypassing where we just sort of go to what we're supposed to do we, and we avoid doing the hard work mm. on purification of our heart. This tazkiya process, which is not only is it work, and it's not just people I think think that it's like, oh, well, we know good character, and so we have to work to have good character. No, you have to face yourself. Mm. You have to face your bad character. And it's not just character, it's what... Why do we have bad character? Because we have, we have uh, darkness in our heart where we have covered over the truth. Yeah. We have had little spots of ghafla from mm. staying with the separation and forgetting the tawheed. Mm. And that causes things like psychological imbalance. Mm. And, and a lot of people, we... we we sort of today we've we've separated that out and we sort of say well we're, that's something else we're just going to completely skip that and i'm just going to study the books and behave the way that i'm supposed to behave and it's like hmm. skipping this internal process of healing which you know this is what Sidi sheikh muhammad jamal was saying is do this work if you clean your heart and literally remove the the blockages on your heart that will give way to actually embodying this fitra, embodying this adab. Mm. No, I think that's really deep, and I think that's um, really something that's lost on modern people is that there's an idea that um, who you are, in the deepest sense, determines what you know. Like we determine, think like, no, it's IQ. Someone just has like an intellect, you know, they can, but, but what you're saying is that that's actually, it's about virtue. Like virtue acquisition allows you to understand and allows you to see and allows you to perceive things as they truly are. Yeah. And it's not about how, how you score on an IQ test or it's not how much, how much education you have, but it's really about a purity of heart and a selflessness and a transparency and a honesty and a courage and all these like virtuous qualities that we know that 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 affects the way you perceive things and how you can understand things and we also can perceive that that people that um because the intellect in a certain sense i mean depend how we define these but like that that faculty you know um it's kind of in service of something like it's a tool yeah and and so if it's if what it's serving is impure and is is like covered over and is selfish and is egotistical then you have a a real problem right <laughs> you know and uh and our pro- ourselves are our problem you know like yes. the, the whole thing is to get ourselves out of the way mm-hmm. and and in the self that we we wrongly identify with is that 
independent self-directed self mm -hmm. and as soon as we you know when we over identify with that we get caught in this we get caught in the the veil of this dimension of i'm a separate individual with free will and i'm going to self-direct and the reality is that um we're a slave and so you have to you have to do a lot of work to get yourself out of the way so that you can be present with submitting to Allah's will and that's like this purification of your intention purification of your action purification mm. of this whole process is this constant work of peeling away and uncovering the heart and so it's really just emptying, emptying to the reality of what you already are underneath, mm. which is just a slave. Mm. That's it. <clears throat> you know, and I think um, one thing that I appreciate about what you're, you're doing is that you see within the Islamic tradition this deep, profound um, resource for understanding ourselves and not only understanding it as a theoretical framework but actually experientially transforming ourselves and becoming who we truly are and you <clears throat> in you know studying various theoretical frameworks of modern psychology you didn't find that and you found and, and you found it so now you're kind of sharing this like hey this is a resource for Muslims, but also for all human beings. It's a profound, you know, 1,400-year-old tradition of deeply understanding the human being, not, sim not simply understand, you know, the, <clears throat> the ways that um, the psyche can go wrong and, and fall into trouble, but actually the ways it can become... Uh, exemplary and looking at people that have really attained a state of awakening and illumination where they've become you know those beings that we all would love to be and strive to be right as far as like these you know true saintly individuals um you know and i think uh, you know it's been interesting to see but i think like the tide is turning because i remember um you know, previously that it seemed like a lot of um, Muslim mental health practitioners or what when people thought of Islamic psychology, it really was these Western the theoretical frameworks, but with like cultural sensitivity for Muslims. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so, you know, don't shake hands with the opposite gender, but really it's the exact same thing. And it's like, it's so much more than that. And I could see, <clears throat> I was surprised when I kind of had my own kind of like um, experience at, you know, conferences and things of this, you know, Islamic psychology field that you were one of the kind of lone voices that seemed to be like, hey, no, actually we have our own, you know, thing. And what I even found surprising is it seemed like a lot of um, Muslim scholars who are trained in the traditional sciences 
also didn't really see they also kind of are just like yeah you know we need like mental health professionals to counsel people and it's like but they weren't seeing it as integrative you know how do we integrate our own but you know so i'd like to like hear what you think i mean i know we've talked about this but it seems like now this discussion is happening more yeah yeah it's getting there i think i think the the problem there is that people are so influenced by this disjointed relationship to everything themselves Mm. and therefore then knowledge uh fields of knowledge and then unfortunately the islamic tradition and so you this is why you have you have scholars who specialize in one area of islamic studies Mm -hmm. and versus recognizing that everything's interconnected you can't understand the whole maqasid of the quran without understanding the interconnectedness of everything and all aspects of knowledge and so Mm -hmm. i think the whole notion of islamic psychology people have a hard time recognizing or, or understanding where that is and what where it fits because they think, oh, well, psychology is this thing that is what the West does with it. And so, and people will say, oh, well, that's just a pseudoscience. It's not a real thing. But we're not, I'm not talking about psychology in what you would study in a university in terms of mental health processes and behavior. I'm talking about what that word means, the study of the soul which is throughout the entire Quran and Sunnah. Like that's the whole project is studying the soul. It's it's understanding the reality of the human condition in relation to the reality of Allah, Allah's reality. And, and, and so the, the reality of Islamic psychology is that you find it throughout all of the branches of knowledge in Islam. Mm. It's spread out in everything it's in kalam it's in tasawwuf it's in fiqh it's in you know just like the akhlaq tradition mm-hmm. it's spread out in all of it and and you you can't understand it, any of it in isolation without understanding the whole picture mm-hmm. and so it's really i think and this is where the scary thing is where people get scared of this is that it's it's ijtihad it's it's un, because we're no longer in the same place where we were in the time of the prophet oh, when when we, when things were more integrated and everybody you know when we reference our early scholars they were physicians they were theologians they, and i'm not saying different people in one scholar mm-hmm. they were a theologian a psychologist uh, a you know a mystic, uh, a poet, geology, yeah. astronomy, right? Because yeah. it was all interconnected. Historian, sociologist. Yeah. yeah. And it was because they were brilliant, they were polymaths, but it was also because you needed to understand all of these things to understand yes. the thing. And they had a unified paradigm of Tawheed. And their whole education system was based around that. And we we're in a fractured, yes, modern, postmodern, where there's, <clears throat> you know, the the... the the shattering of the meta narratives and the the holistic viewpoints, and so I think, you know, alhamdulillah, I think I, like our tradition offers a profound way to really synthesize and integrate all these 
um, disciplines. And at the end of the day, and that's, you know, Ghazali says it in the beginning of the alchemy of happiness, like, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're, the, what you need to know is who am I? Like nothing else, but and all of it. And Rumi says in one of his poems, you know, that all of these sciences, the whole point of it is to know who you will be on Yom Qiyamah. Like, that's the whole point. And um, subhanAllah, you know. Um, and um, I think it's beautiful, man. And I think that, you know, it's funny because you were mentioning like <clears throat> that, you know, even like your own family members when you were studying Eastern traditions and the Rasta and like art and whatever, they're like, okay, he's on one path, and they become Muslim, and they see it like, oh my God, he's totally gone 180. Like, what happened? He, you know, <laughs> um, and it's funny. I, I don't know if I told you the story, but similarly, you know, there was a time where like I studied, you know, Buddhism in the Rocky Mountains, and was very serious about that. And that, you know, I, after I became Muslim, my grandmother, you know, she said to me once, she said, you know. Whatever, whatever happened to Buddhism? You know, that's such a nice religion. You know, like, what is, and I said, you said you don't like that anymore. So I know I, I love Buddhism. Actually, I really have a deep respect for it as a tradition. You know, but even just in the kind of like, she, right? She, she was like, okay, that's okay. My my grandson a Buddhist, yeah, that's yeah, like that's... positive. But my grandson a Muslim, like, how do I? What does this even mean? Like, it was like yeah. too much to even sort out. You know, and um. You know, and that, but that's deep because I, I do think, and you know, you we both know that like, you know, people don't think of like these traditions of spirituality and you know, yeah, psychology and art, and then like tie in, like Islam. But it, if you think about it, that's just a a misunderstanding and a, and a and without being offensive to the it's, it is it's ignorance of yeah. the the thing of the reality yes. because. You know, we've started out talking about how this path for both of us, I think, was about this counterculture, right? Yeah. But if you look at the 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 Sahaba, look at the the, the Prophet Laysatsum and and the Sahaba around him, they were that was the counterculture, mm. literally. They were the counterculture. They were the counterculture. They were going against the system, speaking out against the system, and calling people back to mm. this spiritual reality of who we are underneath and they were literally obliterating tribalism mm -hmm. and uh racism and mm. ageism and yeah. sexism you know and and mm. it is this alternative path that is that is calling people back to something fundamental and natural yeah. and not you know, it it wasn't about this dogmatic. You have to do this. Right. It was, hey, wake up, mm. wake up to what you already are. Mm. And and I think we've we've now seen. And I say we because the people like you know our relatives that when we find out that we're Muslim like freak out, whereas they'd rather us have some other path that's less less. Um, 
dogmatic and militant and external and extreme right mm -hmm. and so that's from an outside perspective because of the narrative of the media and what's mm -hmm. happened and misunderstanding but i find that it's also within the muslims mm. have the people have lost the orientation to their own tradition and they come at it from this very transactional place rather than transformational you know mm. it's like what do i need to do to get to where i need to be rather than what who am i and what do i need to change in myself as the path yeah, what do i need to be <laughs> yeah it, yeah exactly it's it's everyone's so focused on what i need to do and usually they're more focused on what you need to <laughs> right. do right and that's the thing that people are so mm -hmm. turned off by and that's why my family and my friends were freaked out when they found out I'm Muslim because like, oh, he's going to come and tell us what we have to do right. and that we're not good and we're not part of, you know, we, right. you have to be doing these things. And, you know, what my approach was just to, to not have any of that conversation and just to be. Yes. And through my being, my mother experience even though she cognitively and theoretically isn't going to understand and isn't on the path of saying like okay yes i believe in islam but her experience of me being muslim is that i'm being a better son to her i'm being a, the human being that she wanted me to be because i'm being respectful mm -hmm. i'm being loving i'm being you know filial piety yeah. and it's it, it's not about focusing on you're doing this wrong, you right. need to do this. Or what divides us in these. Yeah, no, that's it, man. And I think, <clears throat> you know, one of the way, like, yeah, because I've been, you know, on this path for like almost two decades now. And it's like, you know, I think about like when I'm over at my sister's house and, um, you know, I have nieces who are six and four now. And, um, you know, when it's like, I'll be with them and we'll share meals and we'll, whatever, I'll play with my nieces or we'll watch something or, you know, just hang out talking. And I'm just one of them. And then, you know, I'll like, you know, just kind of like quietly excuse myself to go pray when it's time, right? Yeah. And I will always go in my niece's room because it's like the quiet room. And, you know, my nieces, especially the oldest one, they're very like curious and so they'll be like, okay, where's my uncle? And then they'll like come in and find me praying. And they will just like join me praying. Nice. You know, and, and like, so then I'm praying with them. And, you know, I even just noticed the way like, you know, like my sister or her husband would like kind of like peek in sometimes or just walk by and notice like, oh, they're praying with them. And like, they are supportive of, they're like, think it's beautiful. Mm. And, and to me, that's like really like heartwarming because I know if I would have made Islam something that made me different or like a mm. there would be that that would be strange but they're just like yeah that's like right. your uncle he prays pray with you know there's and so like that's the way that's at the end of the day man. that's the way that's the way <laughs> right because it's it's it just is what it is and it should be accessible and there's no there's no look look this is what we do this is what I'm doing you don't need to do it you can but you could also watch me do it and not be freaked out. We can have a conversation about it and I can be, I can honor you just as you are. And this is going back to the, what, what really did it for me is being able to 
relate to one another without there being divides, even yes. though you're standing in your truth. So I'm standing yes. in, I'm completely Muslim, and I believe this is the way. And at the same time, that doesn't negate me completely honoring and accepting you where you are. Yes. And I don't think that by default, I have some superiority over no. you, right? And that's even what we heard. Like, this is not some, like, you know, convert, new age, like, thing. Like, I heard this from, like, our teachers on the path in the most traditional places in the Muslim world that they that they would say that the only way that our ancestors had success in conveying this path was that they saw that everyone they interacted with them was better than them. Like, they, they had the potential to mm, surpass them. Yeah. They didn't come like, I am better than you. Thing. Yeah. No, they came with humility to yeah. them. And, um, yeah, I mean, and that's it. And I think... I think people, we're so caught up because we're stuck in this dimension of separateness. Yes. Uh, people measure everything through dualism. Mm. And people forget or don't realize that what we need to be doing is embracing paradox. Mm. It's different than dualism. Dualism is, it's one or the other. And it's this separateness. It's You're over there, it's this material um, reductionism and, and sort of this or that. Whereas the reality is multiple, there's multiple dimensions to things. Yes. Every, you know, um, it's this, or it's like, uh, it's multiplex, multiplexity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? And so you can both be fully where you are and honoring that reality. And this can, this can be where it is, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it doesn't have to, cancel it or negate it it's not it's not one or the other mm -hmm. it's both and it's absolutely and that's like i always tell people when i'm teaching poetry classes for instance like what is poetry if you had to say it in one word you would say metaphor and what is metaphor it is seeing the likeness in apparently unlike things mm. it's seeing the connections that not everyone yeah. sees that's what and that's really what art is about that's what symbolism that's mm -hmm. what sign and that's really what the believer is that's why it's, i say transcendence the artist is the believer the believer is the artist because what's the job of the artist or the poet is to see the similarities and unlike things right right my beloved's face is like the moon you say well a face is not like a moon, but if you think in that poetic frame, yeah, it is like the moon, or you know, um, you know, anything like that, you know, any of these me metaphoric, symbolic, you know, ways. And this is like the chayal. This is actually a mm. sacred function which can perceive the the signs and the symbols and you know, like the archetypes, the higher levels of meaning permeating the physical universe. And, um, you know, that's the job of the believer, too. I mean, really, what separates, you know, the mu'min from the kafir is that the mu'min sees that everything is pointing to something and they're ultimately signifying the ultimate, re the ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. Whereas the kafir says, covers over that and says, no, it's just the form. Yes. You know, and that's really Iblis as well. Why? I am better than him. Why? You know, I am from fire and he's from tea and he's from clay so he's like just sees his form and interestingly enough you know um you know diabolic you know diablos is 
really this two is seeing two is separating form from mm. essence yeah. and symbolic is the opposite mm. etymologically of diabolic symbolic because it's to synthesize to put together to see form and meaning to see the one in the multiplicity and that's it's and recognize that things are are pointing to something deeper there's yes. the ibara and the ishara yeah there's the deeper exactly. meaning behind the symbolism there you are. everything is meaning set up in forms right? and this is i think we're coming back to where we started talking about identity and freedom yes this is what we're when we've freed ourselves to be able to not be bound to this material separate limited way of seeing and be freed to be able to see through and beyond and transcend this dimension of reality mm. and this is where all of our problems come from is where we're orienting to ourselves and orienting to this world and to each other as if this is the end all be all yes and exactly and that's what <laughs> the message of the great ones is is that you know <clears throat> it's like we have we're going to be outwardly different you know and we're going to have outwardly different characteristics. We're not going to do away with all of those. But at the end of the day, we can see unity. We see that on the level of reality, none of that has any meaning, right? That everyone's, you know, that who is who is not actually who is who in the dunya sense. Yeah. Like, you know, who's who is who spiritually on Yom Qiyamah will see who is who. Right. We'll see who are the people of wealth right and status yes. in the, in that realm versus this realm be seeing with different eyes and that's really what i think the whole spiritual path is about is about uh, opening that inner eyes yeah. allowing us to see and i agree I, you know what you mentioned like Sidi muhammad uh, you know like what he gave you was like it is all about the meaning primarily and like what people identify as in the outer realm that's not really it however outer forms do have importance as yes. you know but but don't get it twisted like if you don't have the inner yeah. meaning you're gonna totally get lost in the forms and i think you know that's really the benefit of like the master like we all need those that have walked the path who have tread the mountain and come back who can kind of point us out the ways and that's the ultimately the benefit of you know these great wisdom traditions in Islam you know subhanallah and i think when islam gets reduced to a tribal identity as it as all these other traditions can be very easily as you've kind of discussed then we really lose it, it just becomes around like all right you you're, you know you do this and do that and do this and do that and you know you know, and then we're back to tribalism. And then we're it's back like, there. You, you know, we identify externally. These are my people, the ones with the beards and the short pants and the whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 then conversion or whatever becomes, oh, they came to our team, and it's like more yeah. an ego thing as opposed to like, oh, I want you to experience the beauty and the truth and the love that this path has given me and so i'm i'm so happy for you you know mm. yeah well i must so alhamdulillah well i know um you know sharing your journey is really beautiful 
and uh, obviously, you know, the journey is uh, is just begun. Yes, there's many more chapters and and, and many more opportunities. Um, I want to encourage everyone again to <clears throat> pick up your book, um, and then also maybe you could share um, with people like other ways they could connect with you or other offerings you have. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, you can find lots of things on Google these days. <laughs> uh, but I I, I, uh, I have a bunch of articles, a lot of uh, uh, like j- journal articles and other books on Islamic psychology. And uh, I have a chapter in a book on uh, theology and the Star Wars universe. That's the next podcast topic, inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you can find, you can sort of, I have a bunch of videos on YouTube, um, both through Cambridge Muslim College, where I'm the principal, and uh, and we have uh, a lot of other material out there. Alhamdulillah. And yeah, we talked about, inshallah, um, Maybe doing something together, collaboration with Rumi Center and doing a class that dives deeper into some of these topics. So if anybody's interested in that, let us know, inshallah, and make dua for us. Alhamdulillah, thanks for visiting us, and uh, we look forward to the next conversation, inshallah. Look forward to it, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.